to Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading just the first two verses of chapter 12. And those verses will be available to you uh, up here on the screen. But um, if you have your, your Bibles with you, I'd invite you also to turn with me there so that you can uh, look back to the text as, uh, as needed. You see that the title of the sermon in your bulletin this morning and the title given up here is Transformative Renewal. That really is the, uh, just put into two words what the content of these two verses entails. Transformative Renewal, not just any renewal, but the transformative kind. Not just any type of transformation, but the transformation that comes about through renewal. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1 we read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul's letters in the New Testament have a um, they have a similar flow to them, all of them, uh, despite the the varying contents of his letters. It seems that every time Paul sat to write a letter, that he first spoke of doctrine. And then later on, as he, had, as he had expounded upon doctrine, he began speaking of how that doctrine touches what we would call real life. He began with theology and then always ended with practicality. He begins with ideas and then gets into the concrete working out of these ideas. And we find that here at play in Romans, which is arguably the greatest of Paul's works, um, as Paul was anticipating a trip to Rome, he wrote ahead this letter of 16 chapters. He didn't put the chapter markings or verse markings in the text, just so you know. Those were later imposed upon it. But here in this letter, as he's writing this, this treatise, so to speak, sent to the church at Rome, he lays out his, his case in much the same way. He begins with doctrine. He begins with theology. He's beginning with ideas. And you find the content of that doctrine, that theology, and those ideas in the first 11 chapters of these 16 chapters. And then in chapter 12, beginning of this first verse, you find a, a radical transformation of thought as Paul begins saying, okay, if this is what God has done for us, if this is what we believe, if this is our doctrine, our theology, if these are the ideas we are bringing to life, as Francis Schaeffer asked, how then shall we live? Or as Chuck Colson asked, how now shall we live? If God has done this for us, if this is what we believe about Him, if this is the content of the Gospel, how does that Gospel permeate our lives? And so Paul in chapter 12, and then continuing on through verse 16, gets extremely 
practical. He starts meddling. He starts getting into our lives. Not just talking about these ideas of what the Christian gospel says, but the implications of those ideas for a Christian life. Paul becomes very practical, very pragmatic, very useful and helpful to the living out of what we believe by faith. Notice Paul begins our text by saying, I beseech you therefore brethren. And then he calls to their mind the mercies of God. I am begging you, he says. I am begging you and I am pleading with you according to God's mercies. Those mercies are the contents of the first 11 chapters. Paul has been talking to to the, the Christians of Rome about what God has done in their behalf. Of how all of mankind has entered into this world with this fallen character and all of mankind has entered into this world under the judgment of God but God has been merciful to us God has shown mercy he has entered into our world to redeem us he has become one of us to transform us and so Paul says look none of us are without excuse the the Gentiles they even know those are the folks outside of Israel the ones without the law of God, they know in their hearts what is right and wrong, and they still choose not to do it. He says, and don't get me wrong, Israel's without excuse. And he begins developing the case that Israel, who had the law, who were in covenant with God, they blew it. And so he's building this this case of a ship that has holes all through it, and it's sinking fast, and every single person is in it. We're all in the same trouble. But he, in those first 11 chapters, lays out what God has done to redeem us. And so he appeals here to the mercies of God. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what what the gospel says to you about God's mercy. And he says, and therefore I'm begging you. I am begging you. Notice, he's not calling us to some out-of-body, other-world Christian life. He says, present your bodies. Present your flesh and bones. Present your physical selves as living sacrifices. Holy, acceptable to God. He says, this is reasonable. This is a reasonable act of service. I think the the New International Version says this is your reasonable act of worship or this is your uh, sensible response in worship. He's, He's saying, look, God has shown mercy. He has done all this. Therefore, it is only sensible and reasonable to give yourselves to Him. Not give your souls to Him. Not entrust just your hearts to Him. But give your your total self, even your bodies to Him as living sacrifices. And then He invites them. He pleads with them. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to park on this um, second verse of chapter 12. Paul 
is essentially saying, in light of all that God has done in offering you redemption, I am begging you, first of all, to give yourselves to Him, body included. But then, He calls us to a new way of thinking. And I'm calling this a transformative renewal. He first offers the call to transformation. In fact, he tells them, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, the patterns of those around you. Don't be shaped into the mold of the world, but be transformed. Not conformation, fancy word for conformity, but transformation. Now, he, he brings to our mind here this term world. And the question is, what's he talking about? Is he talking about just the world that God created in general? Or is he talking about something specific? He's talking about something specific. The world, as Paul is using it, is the common way of thinking or seeing things. It's related to the mind. But the world is the world's way of thinking. It is the world's mind. In, uh, in biblical theology, that which is common is profane. We think of profanity as nasty words and horrible terms. But in the Hebrew mind and in the Hebrew world, in Paul's world, profane was simply common. It wasn't good enough. And so here he says, do not be conformed by the world or to the world to the common way of thinking, the common way of, of seeing things. It, it also brings the idea of values and behaviors, the, the values and behaviors that are common to the world, that are common to those around you. Here he's <coughs> using the world in a similar way that he uses the term flesh. Not as just creation, not as matter, but as matter that has been perverted. Creation that has gone wrong. The, um, the world here is a is a worldly way of thinking. It is a worldview apart from God's worldview. And so Paul says, he's, it, as he's calling them to transformation, he, he implores them not to be conformed to just the common way of seeing things, to not think like the rest of the world, to not think like everyone around them, to not think and value and behave in a way that is just common, but to actually be transformed. Notice that conformity or conformation is about being fit into a mold. It's, it's about being pressed in. It's about being shaped. But he calls them not to fitting into a mold, but into transformation. To being changed and transformed. Paul I think what's going on in his mind is essentially that they have been made in the image of God and they are being remade or transformed 
as he says elsewhere, into the image of Christ, who he also says is the image of God. He's calling them to a renewal, a remaking, a transformation. But notice what he says is the way of that transformation. He is, he is offered to them the call to transformation, and then he tells them what is the way of transformation. The way of transformation, he says, is the renewal of the mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is not just the brain. It's not just the, the, the thinking processes of the physical mind. The mind is one's disposition or attitude. The mind in the Greek world and in the Greek language was equivalent in many ways to the heart of the Hebrew world and the Hebrew language. The heart was not just... It wasn't the feelings. It wasn't just the seat of the emotions or the seat of, of the affections. It was everything within a person. A person's chorus. The person's control center. Everything that went into the decision-making process. And in the Greek mind, which is or in the Greek world, can't use the term to define a term. In the Greek world, not the Greek mind, um, the mind was that sort of thing. The Greek world was much more abstract. The, the Hebrew world was much more uh, uh, concrete. The heart, person's core. The Hebrew world, it was the mind that, that was where a person's attitude belonged, where a person's disposition belonged. It, it, it involved a certain way of thinking and seeing the world. You see that mind and world are kind of related. The, the, uh, when Paul uses the term world, he's talking about a worldly mind. But the mind is simply a person's system of thought. The way a person thinks. Not just the thoughts he thinks. Not just the knowledge he knows. It, notice it's not about uh, quantity. It's not about the accumulation of facts. It's not about how much a person knows. It's about how a person knows and how a person thinks. It's quality over quantity. And so Paul says, uh, or this is what's in mind when Jesus tells Peter, after Jesus has, says, has said that he's headed to Jerusalem, he's headed to the cross, he's going to be given over into the hands of sinners, and they're going to mock Him, and they're going to torture Him, and they're going to crucify Him, and He will be dead and buried. And Peter says, God forbid it, it'll never happen. And Jesus, having just told Peter that He's the rock, because Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Peter still says, it'll never happen, Lord, not on my watch. And Jesus' response to him is, get behind me, Satan. Not, you're Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on this. Get behind me, Satan. Why? You are not minded like God, but like man. As 
Paul is here saying, you are not minded like God, but like the world. You're just you're thinking in the common way of thinking. You think that power comes through strength and influence, and if you can just beat your enemies down, then you can win. And Jesus is telling him, I'm going to submit myself to my enemies, and they will they will think they have destroyed me, but in doing that, in offering myself, I will destroy the greatest enemy. Peter wasn't minded like God. It's this that Paul has in mind when he tells the Philippians, let this mind, not just these thoughts, not these happy thinking, but let this mind, this mindset, this way of thinking, this disposition or attitude, this way of seeing the world and seeing yourself in relationship to others and seeing others as they really are, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes down through that, what seems to be an early hymn, that Christ, uh, though, he, though He was the God's equal, though He was one with the Father, He chose not to grasp on to that divinity, but instead He was willing to cover it in humanity. And He was willing to come and to take on our flesh. And not just that, He was willing to come and to stoop to the extent that He would suffer and die. Paul says, that mind, that, that mindfulness, that way of thinking that was in Christ is being offered to you. So Paul tells us here that this call to transformation is met by the way of transformation, which is the renewing of the mind. Paul here is not calling us to learn more about God and how He works. I think he does want us to do that. But that's not it. He's not calling us to accumulate more facts about theology, more facts about the Scripture. Paul's not calling us to memorize more verses of Scripture. That's good. That's, that's well. But Paul's not calling us to that. Paul's not saying, if you just knew more about the Gospel, if you just knew more about Christ, if you, just, if you, if you knew how to quote the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. I can't quote it, guys. I like using the word. And I like the creed. I can't quote it. I feel shamed because in seminary, Dr. Friedman, uh, his, his, his kids learned that at an early, early age. I'm telling you, he had a six-year-old that could quote the, the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. I put it up there, what, last week? There's like four pages uh, of, of, of text up there. It goes on and on, and it's extremely detailed. And he had six-year-olds that, that knew how to quote it verbatim, and they didn't just fly through it. I mean, they knew it. They knew it down in their guts. I don't know it. Um, I probably should. This is probably confession time for your pastor. But um, Paul's not saying, if you just learn a bit more, if you, if you knew better how to articulate your theology, then you'd be transformed. Paul's not a Gnostic. Paul, Daniel and I were talking about this right before service. Gnosticism was that, that early idea, those first few centuries of, of the Christian faith, that 
heresy that thought if we just learn more, if we learn this secret knowledge, then we'll be saved. And everybody else who's on the outs, they're lost. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that God wants to and is able and offers to transform us by renewing the way we think, by remaking the way we view the world and the way we view ourselves and others. That's the offering of God. He wants to change the way we think about things. Because our default is to think like the world thinks. To think you have an enemy, you crush them. You have an agenda, you step on everybody you have to to get that agenda pushed through. Because everybody else is my enemy. Even my spouse or my kids because, oh man, without them, what could we do? Without them, think about what might be. The world's way of thinking is, to, is, is a self-absorbed way of thinking. Life is about me. It is about ego. That term ego is the Greek term I. It is about I. And therefore everyone else is pitted against me. My friends are only my friends to the extent that they help me. The one I love, whether it's a friend or a soulmate or hamburgers with dried cranberries on them, those things I love, I love because they benefit me. And Paul says, that is the way the world thinks. That is not the way of the gospel. That is not the way of the cross. That is not the way of Christmas. God became one of us. He submitted Himself. He put Himself under. He lowered Himself for our sakes and He offers us a transformation by renewing the way we think. And so He calls us not to think just like everyone else. Not to think in the common way. Not to think as we've always thought. But to think as God thinks. By putting our minds under Him. And in His hands. So that He might renew them. And we make them. See, I think part of the um, part of the problem with the uh, I'm going to pick on it again. The modern evangelical church of America. I'm part of it, but I, so therefore I can critique it. I think part of our problem is we think all we need is revival. You know, we need and what we think of revival. If we knew what revival meant, that'd be okay. But what we think revival is is kind of getting it excited getting a getting a fresh a fresh wind of of excitement in us 
That that's what we need. We need God to stir us up so we'll be excited again. What the church needs is renewal. What the church needs is remaking. We need God to reshape the way we think. To remake our hearts. To return us to that fire as we sang earlier. Keep that fire lit. Not a fire of excitement, but a fire that consumes our worldly way of thinking. Paul says that it is in answering this call and in following this way to and of transformation that then we're able to prove with our lives what is God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. We're able to follow Him faithfully. We're able to see His leading and hear His voice in our lives when we learn to think as He thinks. So in hearing His call to us and in seeing the way that He's put before us, I want to invite you to take out your communication cards. On the back, at the top, there's a place of response. These responses are the same responses that are on the back of your bulletin. And I I want to invite you to mark your response on both of those because I want you to drop your communication card off in the offering plate at the back of the sanctuary before you leave. And I want you to keep your bullets and hang on to it. It'll remind you throughout the week. I, I always pitch this thing as though it's worth a lot. You know, you can put it in your Bible. It works as a good bookmark. It's uh, you're able to keep keep a line under your under your text as you're reading. Um, it fits in most uh, most books. So hang on to your bulletin and, and and go back through, read back through these scriptures that we've that we've looked at this morning. Also, it'll help you be mindful of the announcements we've made. And most importantly, probably, it'll remind you of what response you have offered to God. But I wonder if you would say, having heard God's call to me be transformed and seeing the way that He's put before me, I'm going to surrender my mind to be taught by Christ. I I want to worship God as we said last week, I want to worship God with my mind included. I want to put my mind under Him to be taught by Him. I wonder if you would say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask the Father to transform my way of thinking. I recognize I don't always think as He thinks. In fact, I usually don't. Too often, perhaps, I think for myself only. I think of myself first. And I want to ask the Father to transform my way of thinking. I want to think as He thinks. And then lastly, I wonder if you would commit yourself. Say, I'm going to commit myself to faithfully follow the Holy Spirit's lead in my life. I want to see where He's taken me. I know I may not see years ahead or miles ahead. But I want to see the next steps that He's put before me. And I want to faithfully follow Him.
I want to hear His voice. And I want to be committed myself. I want to be committed to responding to that voice with the affirmative immediately. Let's, as we consider these responses, let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer.